Today's New Testament reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from Christ's glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. A teacher had the opportunity to visit the Holy Land over the summer, and this is a hypothetical story. I didn't actually know this teacher when I went to the Holy Land, just in case you were wondering. This teacher purchased a cross on that trip, so that she could remember all of the lessons about the Holy Land, both the Old Testament and New Testament, but she was particularly moved by the lessons of Jesus' sacrifice and journey to the cross. And so she bought that cross while she was there and took it back to lay on her desk at home, so that when she worked, she would always be mindful of Christ's sacrifice for her and for her family and for the world. So she laid it on her desk, and it stayed there, and it was visible. But of course, after the first few weeks of school, the papers and the exams, the report cards started piling up on her desk. And so she had to lay aside that cross and place it on top of her checkbook and her bills. And then she was forced to think about how faith would impact her finances. If money is under the cross, literally, what should she buy? What should she not purchase? How much should she give away? How much should she keep for herself? That was a reminder that she was not expecting when she simply moved her cross to make room for some papers. Well, eventually those papers and those bills became so numerous that the cross ended up on top of the student exams. And so there was the cross on top of papers and exams and report cards. Under the cross were student names and their work. And so she thought to herself, if her work is under the cross, if her role as a teacher is under the cross, how would she treat her students? Would that be under the power of the cross as well? How would she treat her colleagues? Would that too be subject 
through the power of the cross? How would she prepare for her class? Should she give more of herself for the sake of her students? Eventually, the papers and the exams and the checkbooks completely covered her desk after a few weeks. Because, well, that's how it is to be a teacher if you've been there, done that. She had to set it on a side table on top of a photo album of friends and family to make room for everything. And so once again, she was forced to think and to ask, what kind of spouse would she be if she were under the cross? What kind of mother or grandmother would she be if her life were truly under the cross? What kind of friend would she be? How would she give of herself to her acquaintances if her life were truly under the cross? And so several, for several weeks, she was forced to ask, what difference does my faith make in any of this? What she had originally brought home as a reminder of a trip turned into an object that caused her to think even more of her faith and to ask day by day, is my life really <coughs> under the power of the cross? It was Bob Dylan who said, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. We're ending our fall discipleship series called Serious Faith. This entire fall we've been talking about and thinking about and diving into the scriptures, considering what it means to have a serious faith. And not just a serious faith up here, it's not just about collecting knowledge or doctrine, but how we live it out and how it affects our life. The key takeaway from this goes back to a, a word, the word discipleship. Discipleship means we are ultimately followers. Not one of us is, is a leader above leaders. We are all followers in some capacity. And so our greatest comfort can be that Jesus is king, and that is also most challenging for our lives. Yes, we are followers, and we must accept the reality that we are truly not in control of everything or everyone, but living under the lordship of Christ and pledging our allegiance to him and him alone is the ultimate way to live out our faith seriously. And it's a challenge because we like to live out our own interests. We like to be our own Lord and Savior. But as disciples, we have chosen to be followers. And I think that's made true in today's scripture. In Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, I'll begin by saying I think we overlook the reality in these churches that Paul writes to. We don't spend enough time saying, what was going on at Colossae or Ephesus or the church at Galatia or wherever else? Today, we ask, what was going on at Colossae that made these words more impactful? Something we know 
about this city and the people that Paul was writing to is that the city of Colossae was a major, major city known for its fusion of religious influence. Colossae was almost a blending ground of different faiths, and not in a pluralistic sense like the United States, not to say that there were many faiths there that were independently practicing their own faiths. The faith traditions were blending together, and new faiths were created. So the Jewish people, the Gnostic people, certain pagan followers, certain people of each of these faiths were starting to combine the realities of their faith practice, their beliefs and their practice. For instance, there was a cult which worshipped the archangel Michael. Of course, the archangel Michael is mentioned in the scriptures. It is a part of the Jewish and Christian faith. And however, there were followers in this city who said, let's take the best of all worlds and venerate this mysterious figure of the scriptures. They believed that the archangel Michael caused a spring to form in their city. And so what we're hearing is that there was an early Christian community who was receiving some mixed signals about the creator of the universe. The early Christian community was receiving mixed signals about who would be worshipped. The early Christian community was receiving mixed signals and was receiving temptation about who to follow. And so perhaps this is something Paul had in mind when beginning this letter to the Colossians. Perhaps Paul had in mind that this church was tempted to find salvation or to pledge allegiance to someone else other than Christ. The church at Colossae was thinking, is it Jesus or is it Michael Is it Caesar, the Roman gods? Is there some mixture here where we can get the best of all worlds? And so Paul wrote this letter to say, there is one who has our allegiance. There is one who has our allegiance. And Paul writes this beautiful hymn affirming who God is in Jesus Christ, to settle the issue once and for all. Jesus is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation, no one else. It was in Jesus that all things in heaven and earth were created, things both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus end of story. It is Jesus who is before all things, and it is in Jesus that all things hold together. It is Jesus who is the head of the individual and the church. And at that point, I almost expect Paul to say, any questions? Paul was making an important point to the early Christians But we would kid ourselves if we said we also didn't need to hear that message. Because we have a tendency to pledge our allegiance to more than just Christ. 
Or sometimes we try to have the best of both worlds where we can pledge our allegiance to Christ, but maybe there are other lords in our life who can also receive some of our devotion. And the Apostle Paul says, not so. Not so. Even the church of the 21st century needs a regular reminder of who is king and lord of our lives and who receives our full, uncompromised allegiance. Last Wednesday at our Bible study, we learned about an ancient system of thanksgiving. And you'll see why I use quotation marks momentarily. In the ancient world, when the citizens of the Roman Empire were seated to eat for a banquet, they would give thanks to their Lord and Savior, Caesar. They would give thanks to their Lord and Savior, Caesar, for giving them this food and these blessings because Caesar was ultimately responsible for it. If they did not give thanks, they were subject to fines or property seizure or perhaps even prison. Caesar had nothing other than the threat of violence to gain allegiance. For Jesus, as Paul says, the credentials are infinitely more. There is not an exchange in God's abundance. God offers grace and love and compassion freely, and we should respond appropriately. For disciples, allegiance is a choice. Though we may be born into certain families, certain cultural realities, political realities, religious realities, we may enter into those realities. Ultimately, allegiance is a choice. We believe that as Baptists, we value everyone's autonomy to make the decision on who they will follow or who they will love or ultimately which religion they will take part in or who they will call their Lord and Savior. And so as Baptists, we choose on our own free will to place our faith and allegiance in Jesus Christ. Of course, what Caesar did nearly 2,000 years ago is not necessarily unlike some of what we hear today. If you place your faith in me, I will fix it for you. If you will purchase this, you will find relief. If you would invest your time in this organization, you will reap the benefits. And so every day, we are tempted to place our allegiance and trust and faith in something else. Paul's words are meant for us today. Because Jesus is more than a symbolic figure in our life. Jesus is a present reality in the church. Jesus is the reason we are here. And it is because of Jesus that we do what we do. Recently, there was a documentary on Smithsonian about the Windsor Castle. Some of you may have watched that. It's a truly fascinating documentary. Uh, The royal family (coughs) has been living... Uh, in that particular castle for a thousand years. It's one of the longest standing places where a royal 
family lives. And ultimately, the, the documentary was not simply about the castle, but it went on to talk about the royal family and their roles. And if you pay attention long enough to the British monarchy, you learn that they really have no power whatsoever. Have you paid close enough attention? The monarchy must remain neutral in all matters, in all political matters. They have ceremonial roles and diplomatic roles, which of course can be important. However, you may not have known this, the monarchy is actually charged with giving consent to all legislation passed in their House of Commons. However, they have not denied any legislation since 1707. I would assume they're not about to start now. The monarchy doesn't rule in the sense of a king and queen as we often think. In fact, I think the people have become aware of that in some years as well. Part of that documentary uh, retold of when Windsor Castle burned. Does anyone remember that? When Windsor Castle caught fire and it was going to be $50 million in repair. And they said the taxpayers are going to pay for it. And the taxpayers said, nuh-uh, it's not our home. You're not governing us. This is your private home. This has been your family's home for a thousand years. We're not going to pay for it. And so once again, another realization that the monarchy is truly not in power. Today's passage is a reminder that Christ is more than a symbolic figurehead. Christ is more than something you check off on your census form because you call yourself a Christian. Christ is more than a ceremonial presence for God's people. Christ is more than a backdrop to the season of Advent and Christmas which we are about to enter. Christ is the faithful witness of power in the presence of God in our churches and communities. Christ is the firstborn over the dead. Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. In John 14, Jesus even says this about himself. Sometimes we have trouble connecting the dots between what Paul says and what Jesus says. Sometimes we say Jesus focused on earthly ministry and doing and Paul was all about the head and the theology. But here is a place where Paul's words and Jesus' words almost match. Where Jesus in John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so even Jesus tells us that we know God because we know him. Christians, we affirm that no other can make such a claim on our lives. We affirm there is no other institution in this world who can place such a claim on our lives we are seeking to share that allegiance with others, then we are making a mistake. Not the king, not the queen, not the president, not the constitution, not any kind of bylaw. If allegiance is to Christ and to Christ alone, what does that mean for you? If our allegiance is to Christ and Christ alone, what will that change for you? in the days ahead. 
Because as we learn from Paul, Jesus is not simply a figurehead. We are not simply admirers or fans of Jesus. We give our full allegiance. Does Jesus have your full allegiance? Let us pray.